are uh, joining us today for the first time, or if you're a, a new visitor, you've joined us on one of the uh, special and big Sundays of the year. It's called Activation Sunday. And so um, as I shared during the host moment, we're going to take a couple of moments just to, just to talk around a little bit of what, about what that is, uh, and then I'm going to get into the message uh, as always. So don't worry if you are uh, passing through on your way to the Seychelles somewhere, aka Paradise Beach, just up the road. Every time I go, they're always amazed at how beautiful it is. If you took a photo, and you would swear it's in some foreign country. We have so much here. Um, but you, you, you're still going to get a message this morning. So um, I'm just going to devote a couple of moments at the beginning to talk about uh, Activation Sunday. And what it is, it's our annual church on-ramp to join a volunteer team. That's what it is. It's also the annual off-ramp for volunteers that want to try a different team. We shouldn't make the dreaded WhatsApp group exit any more traumatizing than what it already is, you know, when the person leaves and they're like, oh, they've left their faith. They've left it. Now, like, no, they've just had a kid, so they're going to just step back this year. So once a year, we create a moment where we go, here's a new team for a, for a, for a current, current volunteer to try out, or here's a, a first-time step of faith from a new volunteer at Father's House. And this is the Sunday where we're going to devote a little bit of time to speak specifically around what those teams are and how they look. So... Um, Serving is a huge part of the Father's House vision and culture. I wanted just to start, by, start off by saying that. It really is a massive part of who we are. And even for me in my own personal journey, you know, this would be my seventh year on staff, 2016 to 2024. How long is that? My maths is shot. Is that seven years? Eight years? Eight years. Eight years. Goodness me, I'm getting younger. Um, but even before that, I was serving pretty much as on a full-time basis for three or four years leading up to that point. And it's something that I think has really inspired me in my own faith journey as well. And this is why it's really, really important for, for us to understand this, that serving is that part of your faith where you go, Lord, send me. Send me. It's where you recognize that everything I have is the Lord's. Everything that I've received is from Him. He has purchased my salvation by the grace of the Lord Jesus on the cross, independent of my performance. There was nothing we could do to earn it in our own strength. We couldn't deserve it. God freely gave it in the person of Jesus. And so it is because I am saved that I serve. Can you say amen to that? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a duty. It's not an obligation that I have. It's a response of gratitude. And how can I not respond with some expression of thankfulness for what I have received through Christ? That is the foundation. And so we recognize, Lord, not only have I been saved by your grace, but I've been empowered by your grace. It was your grace that saved me through faith, but it's also your grace that activates me every day of my life as I work out this salvation journey. And I acknowledge that there is a space in which I can use those gifts that you have given me for your, for your glory. There's some kind of difference that I can make in the life of the local church and beyond. And so for us as Father's House, it really is important to understand that from the beginning, this is something that we do out of a response of thankfulness to God, and it's by His grace that we serve. You know, He gave us the gift of salvation, but He's also given us spiritual gifts. He's given us practical gifts. He's given us creational gifts. Everyone in this room has a, has a unique ability and calling that God has placed on you. And so volunteering is that area where we go, where can I give back? Not because Lloyd thinks it's a good idea or he said I should do it, but because I've received the salvation gift and that activates something in me that goes, I can't just sit with this. 
I have to, I have to, I have to give it back. And um, we, we have this saying uh, as, as Father's House volunteers that saved people serve people so that served people get saved. You see the equation there? I'm saved, so what do I do? I serve. Why? So that others could also come to that place of salvation. No task is too big or too small in telling the story of God's grace. Amen? And um, how many of us also know that not only is it this response, but it also does something in you. You guys know that? You know that we all have this intrinsic need to grow. Every single one of us. That's why you hear people talking about their jobs and they say, oh, you know, same stuff, different day. Got to watch my word there when church. Uh, kind of just going through the motions, you know? It's because we have this intrinsic need. Like, I want to grow and I want to see someone else grow. I want to invest into someone else for growth. And that's a unique part of what volunteering does. And I promise you, when you step out and serve, when you see God's miracle working power in the lives of people around you, you see someone that was, you know, completely shy and reserved and insecure go to, you know, bold, courageous, friendly, outspoken. When you see that selfish person suddenly see grace and their eyes open and they're generous, you know, you get to see these testimonies. I promise you, it, it, it feels something in you that you cannot compare. And I know there's people in this room that can testify to what that feeling is, how your spirit almost jumps up when you see that happen. And it's because it's not only meeting a need or a gap in the church, it's not only as a response to God's salvation, but it's also filling a need in you. And that's what volunteering is about for us as Father's House Church. Can you say amen to that? So what does that look like for us as Father's House? What is the what are the different areas, what are the different spaces where you can make that contribution, where you can take that step of faith? And so to help us with that conversation, we've developed or created over the years what we call the big five, the big five areas of serving. You know, if you're not from South Africa, welcome to Jeffreys Bay. Uh, but the big five, uh, actually before I say, who can name what the big five are? Don't look at the cards on your seat. Who can name what they are? Yes, Lion Rhino, Buffalo. Cheetah, no. Elephant and leopard. There you go. Big five. If you didn't know what the big five were, now you do. So there you go. You can officially call yourself a South African. But uh, these, are, these are our five areas of involvement in, in terms of volunteering at Father's House. And if you're new to Father's House or if this is a foreign concept to you, I hope that it kind of makes sense and it kind of categorizes the different departments where you can, where, where you can step out and serve. And the first one, the buffaloes. The buffaloes. So what is that category of dream team? Well, buffaloes are usually together in big herds. So buffaloes are any of those teams that have got something to do with the Sunday service. There it is. So anywhere where you see big crowds of people, right? Welcome team, coffee shop, ushers, whatever it is, guest lounge services. Uh, these are the guys that make the Sunday services run, right? Who knew that when you came to church this morning, the pastor would call you a buffalo? But here we are. These are the Buffaloes, right? So those are the different teams there. And you'll see the medics team up there as well. That was a team that we literally created some years ago uh, because a, a lady and her team from Father's House Mandela Bay came up to me and said, listen, you know that there's like five or six doctors in the service right now. Um, so if anything happens to someone, why don't we just create a little WhatsApp group? They can bring their jump bag and all the right people attend to the person with the right treatment and we set up the medics team. Amazing. Guys volunteering their time. It's just, it's, it's incredible. So Sunday servers, those are our Buffaloes, right? What's next? We have the elephants. Who are the elephants? Kids' church. Why? Because elephants look after their young. Elephants look after their young. If you walk up to a female elephant in the bush in South Africa, 
who has a cough, you're probably not going to walk away afterwards, right? Very protective over their young. So this is our kids' church department. These are all the, all the volunteers that have a passion for seeing the next generation grow up in the ways of the Lord. And it's not only people that actually facilitate the lesson, uh, the lesson, but you've got parents' room hosts, toddler room hosts. Let's just even call them disciplinarians, if you want to call them that. I don't know. People that help maintain order in kids' church. This is the category of, of teams or, or the category of volunteerism where that, where that happens. And I think it's really special to see young people growing up in church. They're in a well-structured, biblically-based, fun environment. That is so, so, so special. And so this is the team of, of, of volunteers that make, that make that possible. Okay, up next, we have the Lions. Who are the Lions? These are our grow group hosts. And why? Because Lions look after their pride. Lions take care of their pride. These are people that are willing to gather people around at a home or at a venue somewhere in town and facilitate a gathering of, of, of like-minded people around spiritual, spiritual content. It's our, it's our grow group hosts. It's our Bible study hosts, right? Now, what's interesting about this space is uh, Andy Stanley once, uh, in fact, said, if I'm allowed to quote him, not exactly sure, but I did anyway, uh, some, some drama there lately. Uh, he once said that we learn in rows, right, but we grow in circles. And I like that. There's this kind of learning that happens where we're in rows, but, but we grow when it's around a circle. And we go, hey, what did you think of that? What has your impression been on that? How, tell me a bit about your journey. You know, how did you expect that's where this happens? And this is, what, this is what grow groups are all about. This is what the grow group leaders are all about, the lions. And if you're wondering what on earth you should do in terms of material, uh, if this is an interest, if this is something that's sparking an interest in you, we've got a whole bunch of, of pre-approved Father's House material for you to use. But groups don't always have to meet at church on a Wednesday evening and do material. There's interest groups, interest groups that form. Various times of the month, various frequencies of the month. For example, there's a group in Mandela Bay, a group of ladies that get together. They all enjoy knitting, right? They all enjoy knitting. So they thought, you enjoy it, you enjoy it. There's 10 of us that enjoy it. Why don't we get together on a Thursday morning or a Tuesday morning, I think it is, and they knit scarves, blankets, beanies, whatever it is. And then once a month, they go and take those garments that they've made and donate them to a children's home. I'm like, that's amazing. That's so powerful, so simple. But what a, what a beautiful opportunity of gathering together to do something for others. That's the lines. That's the groups. And uh, for me, I'd love to start a fisherman's group here in J-Bay. There's a couple of fishermen here, and I think we should get together once a month and drink coffee. Because we're a church fisherman's group. Uh, and walk in community with one another. Amen. Okay, so those are the lions. Then we have the leopards. The leopards. Who on earth are the leopards? Very rare to find. Very rare, but when you find them, they're very beautiful. They make a very beautiful impact. It's our creative team. These are creatives. Hard to find. You know, sometimes they're in the background taking photos or sitting at the sound desk or behind the PC working on the social media, but their impact is very, very beautiful. And so that's everything from creative decor, making church look beautiful, anyone that's got a creative thing, even performing arts. I mean, I think I, I was joking about this in a, in a couple of a, a series ago when I was preaching and saying that, uh, when I signed up to do drama at, I think it was primary school, grade six or grade seven, the one teacher just said, listen, yeah, man, um, you know, we'd love you to be involved, but uh, don't you want to stick with numbers because, you know, the drama thing and you sort of oil, water. No, 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 please, man. And she said, okay, why don't you just be grass on the stage? So I just lay there. I was grass. I just lay there. That was my, that was my part. So this is not me, right? This is not me. I'm not creative. 
But I know there's people in this room that are. And the church can really, really use your gift, your skill in making a difference in some ways. Does that make sense? And then finally, we have the rhinos. Who are the rhinos? Also very rare, critical in fact, but they play a critical role in the life of the ecosystem of the church. These are our kingdom investors. And rhinos are people who are not necessarily involved in the weekly or monthly running of a department for work and business schedules. They often travel, but they want to contribute in some way. It's not practical for them to always be present on a Sunday in the coffee shop or wherever it is, but they feel equally passionate about giving and serving. So what's the space for them? And this is a group of people that will gather around a table once a quarter or so and go, hey, let's, let's talk about some, some strategic decision-making for the church. Where are we going long-term with our rent? What about buying this? What about, what about stepping out and doing that or trying this? This is the group of people where this category falls in, where they go, I've got some financial and I've got some intellectual resource here. How can I give it into the life of the church? And uh, there was a businessman, in fact, in Father's House Mandela Bay some years ago who said this exact thing. He said, listen, I can't be here every Sunday, maybe only once a month because he travels all over the country and the world for work. But his business year ends just happened and he's got 350,000 rand in dividends. What should he do with it? Now, you have to be able to steward that well as the church, right? I can't just say, well, I don't know what to do with it. No, we have to have a plan for someone like that. And so we went to the list. We, we, we went to him with our list of the heart for the house uh, items. Remember Heart for the House is where we talk about the big, the big ticket capital purchases. And we said, here's the list. Here's what we think is important. And he said, cool, buy 500 shares. There's 350K. And some of them you're sitting on right now. So kingdom investors, right? Play a critical role in the life of the church. And I think we should, as the church, have a space where they can step in and say, this is where I want to get involved. So does that make sense, everybody? Okay, so what's the next step from here? Well, on your seat or the seat next to you, uh, you would have found one of these cards. And uh, don't turn it over. This is not Oprah where you're going to win a call or something. Um, as much as we'd like to. Kingdom investors, no. Um, what, I, what I'd like you to do is have a look at this card and you just scan the QR code. So uh, remember, we don't do the signing, uh, the filling in and forms and sending them back. That's the Poppy Act thing, which put a stop to that. So we've got a QR code. What you'll find is it'll take you through to an app called Church Center. If you haven't got it yet, you'll just follow the prompts and download it. Choose Father's House J-Bay as your local church, because if you don't, I'll be very upset, and that would be weird. Um, choose Father's House J-Bay, and then select one of the big five categories where you feel like, listen, this is where I can make a difference this year, uh, and then I'll get that form, I'll get that email, and I'll be in contact with you during the week, uh, and if it's in the, in the Buffaloes and you want to sign up to do the ushers team, I'll tell you what that's like, and I'll introduce you to the team leader on a Sunday, and you can get serving straight away. Does that sound Okay. Any questions? I didn't think so. So let's go into the message this morning. But I hope that helps just paint a little bit of a picture in terms of what activation is in the life of the church. So if you've been listening to this online, guys on the sound desk, you're welcome just to skip over that front bit when it gets uploaded to Spotify. We're going to get into the message this morning. Can you say amen, church? Could you turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 to 30? Or if you've got your Bible app, uh, you're welcome to do that as well. Philippians uh, chapter 1. This is the famous uh, Apostle Paul, right, talking to the church. Uh, and he's encouraging them. He's strengthening them. He's, he's motivating them uh, that they can still have joy despite the circumstances that they surround themselves in. He's writing this letter from a Roman prison, just by the way. It's a very, very joyful letter. He says this in Philippians 1, 27 to 30. He says, just one thing, church, just one thing. As citizens of, say it, heaven, Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm, one spirit, one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. Oh, that was quick. I didn't get that last part. Go back one screen. There. And this is from God. That's salvation is from God, right? Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf. Oh, this is hard. You guys ready? Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. You came to church this morning and the pastor so far has called you a buffalo and said you're going to suffer. I'm very sorry, but this is what's in the Bible, right? I'm going to keep reading. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have, he's been persecuted for his faith, right? He's in jail. And then chapter two, verses one carries on to say, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete, Paul says, by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Man, that's a great relationship principle right there, right? He says in verse four, everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. It's a great passage of scripture. And I thought, what a, what a place to lay and start as a foundation for the message this morning that I've entitled, Where's Your Head At? Where's Your Head At? And uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the value of maintaining an eternal perspective when it comes to living out our Christian faith. The value of maintaining an eternal perspective when it comes to living out our Christian faith. The value of keeping one eye on eternity, if you will, as we walk out and live out our faith journeys. So has anyone here this morning ever heard of anything that sounds like or that resembles the thing called the Googleplex? Is that an amen from the sneezer? Uh, anyone ever heard of, of that thing called the Googleplex? Not Google like as in the website. That's their headquarters. That's a building. The Google, like G-O-O-G-O-L, Googleplex. Anyone ever heard of the, the Googleplex? No, I hadn't heard of it either until a friend of mine told me about it last week. Um, but the Googleplex is a very, very large number. Okay, that's what it is. It's a very, very large number. That's what it looks like. In fact, see it up on the screen there. It's 10 to the power of 100, basically. Now, it was this phrase, the Googleplex, was coined by two mathematicians uh, who wanted us to, to, to raise our interest and, and, and you know, inspire some uh, investment from the layperson like you and me when it comes to big numbers and things like infinity. You know, they wanted to inspire some interest, so they came up with this number called the Googleplex. Uh, and the one definition that one of these guys said literally was, take the number one, followed by writing zeros until you get tired. <laughs> that was his lay definition. But 10 to the hundredth power is what it is. Now, if you're not a maths human like me, you might think, well, that's not so big. That's just the number 10 with 100 next to it. In other words, three extra zeros, you know, 10,000. That's not a big number at all. I mean, even our ex-president would get that one right. Um, but let me give you a little, little uh, grade 10 reminder here with algebra in terms of what to the power of means. It's not 10 with just 100 zero, like 100 written next to it, like 10,000. It's times. 
So 10 to the power of 2 is 10 times 10. It's 100. 10 to the power of 3, 10 times 10 times 10. It's 1,000. So the Googleplex is 10 to the power of 100. So <laughs> 10, that answer times 10, that answer times 10, that answer times 100 times. That's a lot of zeros. Now, if you're like me, when you see that many zeros, you just go, I quit. Can I have another coffee, please? Because I, I failed at maths. I, those figures just didn't make sense to me. But it's so large, in fact, that so many numbers involved. Just stay with me for a moment, church. I promise you this is going somewhere. The, Google, the, the, the Googleplex number is so large, and please come and tell me if this is incorrect afterwards. I've done the best research I can find, but if it's wrong, please come and tell me. It's so large that if you had to write that number out by hand in books, right? Not type it out on a PC, but write it out by hand in books. If each book weighed 100 grams, which is very light, the combined weight of those books would weigh more than the entire Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> That's really heavy. That's really heavy. Or to put it another way, if you had to write that number out by hand, starting now, and if you could write two digits per second, it would take you longer than the age of the known universe itself to get to the end of that number. That's how big it is. That's a very, very long time to be writing out a maths number, by the way. Now, here's the thing, church. If that is how long it would take to write out the digits of a number... And if we know that as believers, we are living for a thing called eternity, which is longer than that number, why do we spend more time worrying about and investing into now than we do investing into then? Are we just going to go home now? It's just fine. We're just going to call it a day. You can go home and drink coffee again. But this is... <laughs> This is, a, this is a perspective shaker, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not a guilt thing. It's not intended to be that. It's just a motivational thing. This is not intended to make someone go, oh gosh, what have I done? No, it's intended to make someone go, wow, look at the opportunity I have. Look at what I can do with this eternity perspective. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter six, it's not on the screen, it says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where thieves do not break in and steal, and where moth and rust don't destroy. I have an eternity to spend in the presence of God. And I think every now and then, I want to I wanna encourage us just to, just to maintain a little bit of that eternity perspective when it comes to living out our faith in God. Not a, not a soul focus or a soul mindset, because I think then you, know, you can get this unhealthy mindset that develops where you just check out of life altogether and become unapproachable, which misses the point. But an eternity perspective. We should ask ourselves every now and then questions like, how are the choices in my day to day affecting my experience of eternity? Every now and then, it's just good to ask that question. How are my choices affecting the eternity plex? If I can steal Google's number. Am, am I making a good investment? by choosing this thing that's before me in this moment today? Do my priorities reflect an eternal value? 
That's what it is, right? It's a priority-shaping thing, this concept. And I think we as Christians often, if we're honest, get caught up in just living for the now, you know? Living for this week, this month, it's got to get to this day. I've prayed this prayer a lot over the last two years. Lord, just help me get through today. Just give me my daily bread, please. Sasko Sam, all wheat, please, just give me my bread. I need energy. And while I'm not saying, church, that we shouldn't stay focused on and plan strategically ahead and steward what we've got, not at all, we shouldn't forget that, that this isn't the end of the story. <laughs> this world that we're in right now is not the end. We have a long time on the other side, and maybe it's good every now and then just to have a fresh shake-up on what it is that we're ultimately living for. What it is that we're ultimately living for. And for that to make us go, hey, there's a long time coming where I will enjoy God's presence, where actually I have the opportunity today to invest into something that's waiting for me when I get there. Changes the game, doesn't it? And I, I mean, if I'm very honest, I had this thought in preparing this message today. I was like, you know, should I, should I speak about this topic of eternity? Because if you're honest, you know, it's not a very um, popular choice amongst preachers these days. It's not a very... Um, spoken about topic, and I guess one of the reasons for that is that all the teaching that there was out there on this topic had something to do with flames or fire in the subject line of the message, right? Eternity, flames, demons, stuff. Very, very fiery. So you had teenage kids like me sitting in churches or watching online to this message, and it scared the hell out of us. <laughs> Play on words there. No one got it, but it's fine. Lloyd, go and drink more coffee. But it was, it, eternity was, was preached about from the turn or burn brigade, if we're honest. And it wasn't really helpful, was it? Because we used eternity in the fear to manipulate people into doing stuff. That really wasn't helpful. That's what happened. And it wasn't helpful because fear never produced a lasting change in anybody. Instead, we should have gone, you know what? You've been saved by grace. And once you're saved, your eternity is secure. You are with the Lord. Now, please, that you are saved. What's the most you can make of the freedom that you have now? What can you do with the freedom that you have to invite others also? That's where we should be focusing. It was about love, really. That's what we should be telling people. God so loved the world. You're free. You're, you're saved. You're chosen. Go and live that freedom out. Go and do something with that. You know, I think also perhaps the reason why there's not a lot of talk or why we kind of turn away from it is, is, you know, because there was that unhealthy side of preaching, but also people just generally speaking don't always understand everything to do with eternity. Like we read the book of Revelation and we're like, I'm going to, I want to save that for the gates of heaven one day and just ask Jesus, like, what's the deal? Because that stuff's weird. You know, we had this thing of like, I'm just going to ignore it and then find out later. Um, but then I thought, you know, even for me personally, this is, this has challenged me a lot. It's challenged me a lot lately. And I thought if I could encourage just one person this morning, just to make one eternity treasure storing decision, then let me, let, me, let me just go for it. You know, it would be a blessing for you and others if we, if we took this value and applied it to our lives in a fresh way. And um, I guess here's the last thing that I wanted to say on this topic and that passage that we read in Philippians talks about it, why I think it's so important. Because it helps us understand um, in a clearer way the thing that all of us experience from time to time, and that is Christian suffering. Christian suffering, right? It's, Paul wrote this letter from jail, talking about Christian suffering. And, and I guess having this eternity perspective helps us, helps us unpack that 
that natural course of life. What do you do normally? What's your natural first step when you encounter things like that? This, uh, this topic of suffering of some kind. Well, if you're anything like me, it's not always the prettiest first step, if we're honest. I don't always handle it very well. We fall into all kinds of complaining and blaming and anger and confusion and rash decision-making. We get caught up in circumstances and we lose sight of, sometimes, for a very long time, that there is another step. There is an eternity to spend with God. And it's true that no one on this earth is exempt from the consequences of a fallen world. Whether you're a Christian or not, sometimes bad things will happen. There's probably a Googleplex of stories in this room from people that have experienced some kind of suffering. And I throw myself into that mix too. And I've spoken to a lot of people recently that are very caught up in this, in this brokenness that happens. And while I never want to minimize the tragedy or losses that we go through as people, at the right time, the right time, this eternity perspective of verses like 2 Corinthians 4 can provide the encouragement and comfort that our souls need. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How powerful is that verse? And I just wanted to leave that with us as something on the side this morning that we could perhaps use to encourage someone or even take for ourselves if we've ever experienced or are experiencing some form of suffering as a believer in God. Can you say amen to that, church? So, I've got 10 minutes left this morning. The clock is chasing me. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna share very quickly on three opportunities or three areas at church or elsewhere where you can make an eternity-centered investment. These are three areas where you can step into and make a difference for this topic of eternity, this conversation of investing into a very, very long time that we've been, that, that, that we've been speaking about. And these aren't brand new discoveries, by the way. So, you know, don't think your pastor's going to give you a kind of a supernatural revolution or, or um, you know, this revolutionary idea that, you know, you step into this thing and you're going to get a, I don't know, an Aston Martin or something in heaven one day. These are very basic, very foundational principles, but but these are three practical ways that we can live out this principle. And if you've, if you've been living these out, these might just serve as a fresh, uh, a fresh reminder for you to, to continue to doing uh, these wonderful things that, that God has placed before us. And the first one is serving. Serving. That's what we've been talking about all day today. Serving, right? And as I said earlier, we have the saying at Father's House that saved people serve people. So that served people become saved. It's part of our calling. It's every effort that we do to bring someone one step closer to Christ. It's every effort we do that, that knocks down a wall or an obstacle between someone's heart and their savior. It's everything, every sacrifice, big or small, that we are willing to make to reveal the love of Jesus that we have received to other people. And we all have that call as followers of Christ to make those kingdom eternity investments through our sacrifice of serving. You know, and our, our serving is based on scriptures like 1 Peter 4. Verses 7 to 11, and the heading of this, I love it. It's called End Times Ethics. That's the heading of this little passage. It says, the end of all things is near. Sounds heavy. Therefore, do what? Be alert, sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. In Father's House language, become a grow group host. Just as each one has received a gift, 
What's the implication? You've received a gift, right? Just as each one has received a gift, do what with it? Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. It's from him. You're not the owner. You're the steward. And yeah, he gives some examples. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I love this passage of scripture so much because it teaches us how we should live uh, as we anticipate Christ's return. And it's building on the model. It's building on the model of Jesus who said he didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, serving is not just an antidote to selfishness. It's a pathway to pleasing God. Can you say amen to that? It's not just an antidote to selfishness. It's a pathway to pleasing God. And when you do, you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in your heart now. I get to play this part and see these miracle stories happen in front of me. And treasures in heaven, storing up for, for eternity with, with God. And when, you, and, when you, and when you serve someone, I know that there's people in this room that know what I'm talking about. You go from this, this sort of almost indifferent, dull place to activate it in your faith when you see the difference that you make in someone's life. And that's something that pleases God. It's another wonderful scripture, Hebrews 13. We're going to go through a bunch of them this morning, church, in the five or so minutes I have left with you. hope I can get through it all. This is the topic of pleasing God. Therefore, through him, through Jesus, let's continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. What's that? The fruit of lips that confess his name. And don't, ne don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Isn't that amazing? We have a direct avenue here to do something that pleases God. And for us as Father's House, we've had countless stories over the years of people who have said things like, you know, I would, I would never have seen myself in a church building ever again based on what I went through. There's no ways I was coming back to church. And something, for some reason, whatever happened, and I found myself at Father's House, and for the very first time, I felt like I found a place that I could belong. We get those stories every week. And we're like, how did that happen? No, someone greeted me when I walked in, or someone gave me a cup of coffee. Things that we thought were small, seemingly insignificant tasks, simple, serving, right? But yet they produced a kingdom return. They produced a kingdom result, something for eternity, and so friends, having an eternity perspective on faith means that we serve in that way. It's not about recognition from people. It's about a response to the Savior. Can you say amen to that? Secondly, another area where we get to make kingdom uh, eternity investments is in our sowing. Our sowing. Specifically in this context, financial sowing. And if we're honest, church, I'm going to intentionally sit for this one. Um, but globally, over the years, much like the turn and burn stuff, that we were speaking about just now when it came to eternity. The topic of finances in church was a controversial one. It was. And maybe it continues to be a controversial one, I guess, because of this apparent hypocrisy that we see out there, you know? Give, 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 and the big thing, big, everything about giving, the guy flies away in the copter, and then everyone's like, well, what are you guys doing, you know? And it's because we saw this twisted picture of what financial giving and sowing financially is all about, and it angered people, and it scared them off church. And if we're honest, I guess rightfully so, because it was weird. I don't know, is that too honest a statement from coming from your pastor this morning? Maybe it is. But anyway, I said it. Is there such a thing as too honest? I don't think so. But we just got to own it, right? We just got to own it. That, that is what happened. Um, and it still happens. We still get questions about it. But truthfully, for me in my own journey, and maybe it's because I've come through 
and, and having studied and worked in financial planning for six years before joining Father's House, um, I have this sort of perspective on it and, and, and experience in it. Um, truthfully, I'm at the point where, you know, silly, crazy people, they must continue to be silly. And biblical people, we must continue to be biblical. Let God is going to let God work out his grace in their hearts with their thing. And that's their journey to figure out God's grace in. But I cannot, for the sake of those who are being silly about it, not take a biblical stance on it and share what I feel is God's heart for this area of faith. I'm tired of cowering away in the shadows about it as something we should be ashamed of because a few people couldn't maintain an eternity perspective and teach people the truth. And they made it about their own selfish gain instead of the benefit of others. One too many coffees there, Lloyd. That Google, those Google Plex shots have gotten to your brain. Um, no, but truthfully, truthfully, friends, Jesus teaches more about money than on any other topic. More than heaven and hell, more than faith. So, they, so they, there must be something to be said about what biblically-based kingdom sowing looks like. There must be some value to it. And you want to know what one of the most truthful and direct verses is on this topic? You want to know what the, what the, what the, what the biblical premise is for the tithe? which is the first 10% of your income that goes to the local church, anything over and above that is called the offering. But what is the, what is the, what is the biblical premise for the tithe? Are you ready? Are you ready for this verse? Straight, straight down the line. Calls it what it is. Givers, this will just be a refreshing reminder of what you already know. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, New Testament, right? New Testament. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Just pause there for a moment. Hypocrites. Who's, who's the scribes and Pharisees? The self-righteous. It's all about me. Look how good I am. Look what I've done. But I can never, ever help anyone else. I'm too, right? It's all about me. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. That's how far they went with the tithe. They literally tithe spices. I mean, like talking about trying to prove that you're worth something to God, right? Or that you should, uh, that you should earn his affection. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus says we should tithe. <laughs> there it is. The biblical premise of tithing comes from the words of our Savior. Jesus says it, not me. It's not a church movement thing. It's not a Lloyd thing. It's not a anything. It's a biblically based kingdom principle that brings God glory it reveals a heart of thankfulness and it makes a deposit into eternity. Can you say amen to that, church? It's not something to be ashamed or afraid of. We embrace it for what it is. It's the free, we embrace it for the freedom that it is and for the freedom that it brings. I'm a steward of what I have. Paul, uh, uh, Paul says we're stewards of God's grace. I'm not the owner. I'm just the steward. And when I give, I'm simply showing my effective management of that which belongs to another, to God. That's the tie. That's what it is. And I don't have time to go to this passage of scripture today, but Luke chapter 16, it's a fascinating passage about this unjust manager or the unjust steward. Please go read it, Luke chapter 16. It's weird when you first read it. It's like, what is happening here? But it's a really, really fascinating parable. I'm just gonna focus on uh, verse 11, uh, uh, production team. Uh, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the, tr the true riches? And you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? 
And then it ends with the famous, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. It's a, it's a very practical verse, but just go to verse nine again, guys. Sorry, right in the very beginning. Just look at this for a second. Jesus talking. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Make friends with money so that when it fails, because this world is passing away, they, the friends that you've made with it, receive you into the eternal dwellings. That is a fascinating piece of scripture. You know what it's saying? It says, get busy today taking something that's passing away and transfer it in God's hands into something that lasts forever. I am so thankful that giving gives me the practical opportunity to demonstrate that in God's hands, with God's power, I can take something material, unrighteous wealth, and with it, do something that will produce an eternal reward. Can you say amen? Who's gonna go and read Luke 16 after this just because that was a really strange passage? But hopefully, hopefully it gave you a little bit of, a, bit of an overview. And then finally, church, I'm aware we've got a couple of minutes left. We get to, ma- to maintain an internal perspective by our sharing of faith with others. Our sharing. We've spoken about serving, touched on sowing, and now we're talking about sharing. You know, I've, I've been honest this whole morning, this whole year, hopefully my whole life. Um, can I continue being honest? I think, as your pastor, that this is one of the greatest tricks that the devil has played on the church. I think this is one of the greatest tricks that he's played on the local church. And that is to subconsciously, because we don't always do it on purpose, but subconsciously, Outsource the Great Commission to a preacher for 30 minutes on a Sunday. I think that's one of the greatest tricks that the devil has played on the local church. What on earth am I talking about? What's the Great Commission? What about what? the Great Commission? It's Jesus' final words to his disciples, right? Before he's taken up into heaven, Matthew 28. He says this, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. Jesus telling his 11 disciples, the 12th one was problematic. Um, he's saying, this is what I, want you go, what, what, I, what I want you guys to go and do. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And somewhere in our faith journey, we got that mixed up with 30 minutes of preaching on a Sunday. Somewhere we outsourced that responsibility. Here you go, pastor. Here you go, preacher. Here you go, worship leader. Here you go, kids' church leader. And we've missed out on the critical role that all of us play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Sharing your faith with others. You know, while I think preaching is obviously a critical role to play, it's by no means the only role. It's one of the ways, but not the only way, because Jesus was talking to all the disciples, right? Even those who didn't have roles yet. He was saying, all of us have a role to play. These guys were ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, or CAs, to use a modern day example. No, not CAs, not CAs. They help us avoid tax. They, these guys work for SARS. Um, but 
we cannot assume, friends, that once we're saved as a Christian, we get to ignore the part that we play in going and making disciples of all nations. This is a call for every single follower of Jesus. It's so clear from Scripture that God has given everyone different gifts, different skills, different callings. And the beauty of Christ is, the beauty of the body of Christ is that when each one of those members plays their part well, there's an amen from Kids Church, we tell the same story of grace. We glorify the same Jesus and we see the beauty of the one who loved us and saved us. Amen. We each need to play our part and fulfill our role as part of the body. And so making disciples could mean many things. You know, you ask yourself the question, what comes naturally to you? What are you naturally gifted at? What, what seems to come easy? Are you just naturally good with people? Do people just kind of come to you naturally? They're like, you know, just this, the easy, easy to talk to. Are you good with numbers? Are you good in the background? And then ask yourself, what comes supernaturally to you? <laughs> what spiritual gift has God given you? Not so that we can harbor those for ourselves, but with those, ask God for the opportunity to go, how can I play my part in my sphere of influence, in my zone, in fulfilling the great commission that you've given to all disciples? You sow the seed of faith that's in your hand, or you water the seed that someone else has sowed, and you trust God with the increase. Can you say amen to that? Final scripture this morning, church, and then I'll close for us on this point. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. Again, Paul writing to the church. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Like as in, what's the big deal? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither he, uh, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each, each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Man, it's a beautiful passage of scripture, and my encouragement to us this morning is, church, please don't assume for one minute that because your gift or your ability or your calling looks different to someone else's, that it's not of worth in the kingdom. I promise you it is. I promise you there's a valuable part in fulfilling the Great Commission, in sharing your faith with others that only you can play. And don't miss out on making an eternal investment because you think your contribution didn't look like that of someone else's. Play your part. It's what we get to do to sow into eternity with him. Can you say amen to that, church? Could you stand with me as we pray? So we've talked about on this Activation Sunday three ways of practically demonstrating that we have an eternal perspective. We've spoken about serving, we've spoken about sowing, and we've spoken about sharing. And my hope in, in, this message, in sharing this message with you this morning is that you would have some food for, food, food for thought there and go, you know what, I can actually do this. I can do these. By the way, they're not mutually exclusive, right? They're not either or, they're together. We, we're working for the full picture of maturity in Christ here. But I wanted to just say one more thing, um, and I've shared this throughout the message this morning, but we are saved through Christ. He's the one that purchased our salvation. There it is, our vision statement, right? Awaken the world to the gift of salvation by grace. We couldn't earn it. And so all that we've been talking about this morning, all these principles, all these relationship practices are not to get saved. They are because we are saved. Our serving, our sowing, and our sharing are not to earn God's affection. They are because we have already received God's affection. And so we ask the question, not Lord, how can, I, how can I get right with you by doing this? It's no, Lord, you have made me right in Christ. And from that place, how can I make the most of the life that you have given me? 
How can I make an eternity, a Googleplex investment with what I have right now? And so let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the precious privilege of being called your children. Lord, it was because of your grace. There was nothing we could do to earn it, Father. You freely paid it all on the cross through your son, Jesus. You, you redeemed us. And so, Father, it's in that freedom, it's because of that redemption that we come to you this morning and we say, Lord, show me how I can make a difference. Father, we open our hands. We look and we say, Lord, what have you given me? What's in my hand? How can I, how can I make this difference? Because I know that I have a gift. I know that I have a call. And so, Father, we ask that you would make those opportunities clear. Even this week, Father, Holy Spirit, would you prompt us, nudge us, even now, even in these moments, to go, how can I take the step of faith? And Father, I thank you that when a community of believers like this is activated in their faith, is engaged with keeping in step with the Spirit, that that is when we see a city transformed. That is when we see miracles. That's when we see lives come to salvation and fruit and health and growth. And we hear stories and testimonies of your breakthrough. And it's through the simple step of saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Send me. So would you send us this morning, Father? And we honor you for this, for this privilege and we know that it's all for your glory. Jesus, we don't take the glory when someone gets saved. So we're not gonna take the blame if they don't. It's not about us. It's all about you. And so would you cover us now as we go and we pray all of these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Church, could you give God one more shout of praise and worship this morning? Thanksgiving. So I would encourage you, grab one of these cards, scan the QR code. There's, they're on your seats or they're at the activation station there, sign-up station with the lemonade. Please enjoy that. Otherwise, have a great week. Come and talk to us if you've got questions. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless everyone. Thank you.